We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Uh, let me tell you about Viola Fletcher in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We would call it Greenwood, and it's June, Pride Month. Like, we are off to an amazing start. And I actually have a couple of more dates later in the show that we want to drop on individuals. But I got to ask you, I know while you are out sunning and funning, having a great time down in a place that we won't mention, <laughs> uh, while you were Funning and sunning. Did you by chance catch the interview of Viola Fletcher? Uh, I saw pieces of it, but I didn't see it in its totality. Pretty powerful, though. I mean, what she's been through and how that lifelong impact. That was the, the piece that I took away. Lifelong. And not to mention Naomi Osaka. We'll get to that as oh, well. Yeah. But, you know, when I thought about Viola Fletcher, Jay, I actually saw the video because this is old news, but. I, I needed to raise it for our listeners this week. I saw the video one week, had to process it before I could even share it with family, before I could even tweet it out. I had to sit with that for a moment. You're talking about the oldest member, the oldest surviving person of the catastrophe of the terrorism that took place in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And to listen to that beautiful spirit speak on Capitol Hill, like it didn't bring me to tears, but it made me rest for a moment because I immediately thought about thought about my grandmother, my grandfather. Like it was it was absolutely powerful. And, and let me tell you what really, really makes my blood boil right now. And the reason why I needed to talk about it is because we have talk of a former president saying that they're going to be in office. And it's like, it's like, it's almost as if people are forgetting that these terroristic events have happened and we're trying to thwart, prevent them from happening again. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I think we've been trained by the media and by different um, institutions of power that slavery and Tulsa and all of the bad things were so long ago. And we're a relatively young nation, but when you see people talking who were there, who were present, who had their lives fundamentally changed, not in black and white, but in color, I think it sets a different precedent for what we really think of systemic racism and what we think of the violence that was so organic in, in driving civil rights and all the things that are happening, hopefully. We, we don't lose that. But I, I do agree. I feel like we're waning a little bit. We've got work that needs to be done. And everybody just wants to kind of take a breather. But we're not going to do that here at uh, Crazy and the King. Not at all. And I thought about you when I saw the piece around Naomi Osaka. Mm -hmm. And I know that this hits home for you. What do yeah. you think when you saw her interview, her position around doing interviews post, pre? What do you think? I'm so proud of her. I am so proud of her as a young woman, period. You, 
Well, you know what? Put it in context for folks. Oh, okay. So uh, Naomi Osaka pulled out of the French Open uh, this week uh, because she was having so much anxiety around not just the performance of her tennis, but the requirements for all of the media interviews, all those things that had to be done. And when she spoke to the French Federation, Tennis Federation, and said, hey, I'd really just like to not do media this time, they were going to fine her $15,000 a day and force her into some other ridiculous type of media. I don't exactly remember what. Um, And so in return, she said, yo, I'm out. I am done. Mental health first. I can't imagine succumbing to the kind of pressure and then standing up to it, right? And saying, no, I come first. It doesn't matter that I'm the highest paid female athlete in the world. It doesn't matter that I'm a young woman who is representing generational talent, right? My brain, my body, my health comes before making the French Federation, French Tennis Federation, more money. Now, the only thing I will say on an aside, I kind of wish she had done a, oh my God, now the now it's gone. Um, who is the guy from Seattle who he was supposed to do all of the interviews and he just came out and said, I'm here Marshawn because Lynch. I have to be. Thank you, Marshawn Lynch. I wish she yep. had pulled a Marshawn Lynch and said like, I'm here, but only because I have to be. But not really. I, I'm, I, I think she's an amazing young woman. Yeah, it was interesting for me because, you know, I thought about the side of, of people that are looking at that story and saying, well, contractually, this is the obligation to the U.S. Tennis Association. And, you know, you have to do this many media appearances and this many radio appearances and whether you win or lose, like we actually kind of looked at the USTA contract. And so I know there's a, a set of individuals out there that said, but this is what you signed up for. This is why you have an opportunity to make millions of dollars for your matches, for your wins, you know, uh, endorsement deals and, and whatnot. And so I I try to uh, appreciate that part of the argument, but I also appreciate and lean more towards the side of, but we can change those things. Yeah. Like if, if a person's mental health is at stake and they're not being fragile, you know, I saw the uh, comment from certain commentators that said that she was being fragile, that she wanted softball questions. She didn't want things to be asked hard of her. Juxtapose that with Serena Williams. I think it was Serena who said, but I respond differently because I knew what they were trying to do. Here's what I want to put into this. You may not remember this, but Michael Phelps had some conversation around wanting to commit suicide. Thoughts of suicide. And I don't necessarily recall, I went through the meet, I went through Google and I did a quick search as we were preparing for the show. No headlines came up that criticized and critiqued Michael Phelps in his position around mental health and what he was going through. And so I just always want to remind people that this DEIB conversation, it's not confined to race, gender. It's not confined to a particular industry, i.e. tech. It's not confined to a particular geography. No one has a monopoly on needing to be included, feeling as if they absolutely belong. And none of us should feel like we are in such a high place that our opinion is the one that should drive a particular conversation. I absolutely respect and am fond of her as well. Yeah. And and, I mean, if we even get down to brass tacks and then... We, we've got more stuff to get into. Her saying, I don't want to do media interviews because I have a mental health issue is a request for an accommodation, period. 
And so not only was she brutalized after requesting accommodation, right? Then you have the rest of the world saying, well, here X, Y, Z. That's why most employers have a hard time and would choose to hire a person with a physical disability rather than someone with an anxiety or a depression or an ADD disability, because we don't have any sort of understanding as employers and as humans, most of the time, how we should manage someone who is having a mental health crisis or has chronic mental health issues like I do. And so there, there is such a better way that that could have been handled and it could have been handled behind the scenes. It could have been done well and it would not have impacted her performance, which was to play tennis. This was a, a side responsibility. So I think it's important that we differentiate contractual needing an accommodation and knowing that who we are shifts over time. And just because our employer says it's right right now doesn't mean it's right forever. And we have yeah, to be willing absolutely. to stand up for ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, so listen, let's stay yeah. in Sorry. that particular sandbox. Yes. If you, No, you're good. So uh, Google, class action <laughs> lawsuit. Yeah. Listen, there's, you know, I live for the, <laughs> I live for the week where we can actually record and not have a story that is like alarming around DEIB. Also, I would say that again, having the story, being able to talk about the subject, the headlines that we discuss continues to show us how much DEIB is humanity, how much it is who we are, how much more we, we have to do. And so they have a class action lawsuit that says that they were paying some of their female, I hate that word, but I'm going to go with it because that's the article story. <laughs> Um, but that they were paying women nearly $17,000 less than they were paying men. And I found the story over on Business Insider. Yeah. And not a small class, over 10,000, almost 11,000 women are part of this class action suit. So Google's always putting out the good PR, but they got to do better. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you found an interesting story of, on The Guardian about the NFL. Let me just say this one is an old story is actually May 14th. But I'm going to tell you, I said my blood was boiling uh, as it related to Tulsa. This one really pissed me off. Like you already know how I feel about the NFL. You and I have never really agreed, whether it be our talking about Colin and the Nike shoe and the Susan B. Anthony flag or watching football, not watching football. And, you know, I absolutely love you. It's not an issue. <laughs> it's just we don't see eye to eye on it. I haven't watched football in six years now at this particular point. I'm definitely not going to be watching it anytime soon. I found the story over on The Guardian, and it says the title of the story is NFL Families Seek to End Race Norming, N-O-R-M-I-N-G, NFL families seek to end race norming in a $10 billion concussion settlement. The article is something that you should read for yourself. Here's what pissed me off. Under the settlement, the NFL has insisted on using a scoring algorithm on the dimension testing okay. that assumes that black NFL players start with lower cognitive skills. So. Baseline concussion testing, the bar is lower for black NFL players than it is for white NFL players. Because in, 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 in layman's terms, we're dumber. I think like that's what it's saying, yes. We're incredible, you know, athletes, but cognitively, 
we're just dumber, which goes to that thing that they used to say back in the day that black men couldn't be a quarterback. Mm -hmm. We weren't smart enough to be, God, if we didn't have a guess, I swear I'd be cussing right now. (laughs) We weren't smart enough to be a quarterback for a team. And it is so infuriating for me that we have owners, we have a league, we have lawyers. I mean, we have so many different people. And for them to even allow that type of thinking to make it beyond the perimeter of protection and get out in the public sphere so we could read an article and see that this is how you think about your black players. I, I swear it, it it was one of those things where if if I had the access to a Roger Goodell who sat down. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, he does these uh, uncomfortable conversations. Oh, yeah. And all of his stuff, Emmanuel or uh, something. Yes. And, and his stuff was turned into a book and series with Oprah. To have Roger Goodell have sat down with him and apologized for the slow reaction to Colin Kaepernick, it almost makes it feel like how serious, how genuine were you? So I got to tell you that that story really, really ticked me off. I talked about it on Clubhouse last Friday, and I just had to make sure that we mentioned it uh, this week. It's in The Guardian. NFL families seek to end race norming in a $10 billion lawsuit. So we got a guess. I'm excited about that. Yes, indeed. So uh, here's the quote for this week. When business leaders utilize their privilege and stick their necks out, it isn't a benevolent gesture, but rather it's about being a transparent an accountable leader said by Dr. Tana M. Session. Let's get into our advertisement from Jobvite. And then more importantly, let's get into our conversation for this week. Really quick before Torin and I hop back into the episode, have you heard about the new Jobvite? The social recruiting innovator is now the end-to-end TA suite leader, helping TA teams attract, engage, hire, onboard, and promote the talent they need to succeed. But built specifically for talent acquisition professionals, the Jobvite Talent Acquisition Suite delivers an unmatched depth of capabilities from AI to DNI, recruitment marketing to applicant management, new hire onboarding, employee referrals, internal mobility, all with next gen analytics to help you prove the value you deliver to your organization. Whatever your recruiting challenge, Jobvite has a solution. Visit jobvite.com slash C-A-T-K today. Again, jobvite.com forward slash C-A-T-K. Now let's get back into the show. All right, let's get into this week's show. Cool. So the introduction is of Miss Christine Trodella. I got it. Right for all of the listeners. Christine is head of America's at Workplace from Facebook, one of our podcast partners. She joined the Facebook family in 2011, originally leading consumer packaged goods and retail teams. Now, I got to find out about this CPG piece. Um, I'm really, really interested uh, in, in that because I think about Facebook and Workplace Digital. I don't see them as consumer packaged goods focus, but I digress. Uh, At Workplace, her team helps businesses and large enterprises build a connected culture by leveraging the workplace platform. So Julie, I'm really hoping, Christine, when you jump in, welcome to Crazy and the King. 
Can you elaborate a bit on that CPG aspect and how that really showed up inside of Facebook and talk to us a bit about more uh, of what you do? Absolutely. And it's it's a great story because it takes me to my current gig uh, on the workplace team here. But Facebook uh, is is um, a business run by the ads that we deliver in Facebook's newsfeed on Instagram. And uh, on the business side of Facebook, we have ad teams that are focused on specific industries and verticals. So these are the teams that go and they engage with advertisers that are brick and mortar retailers or advertisers that are technology companies or advertisers that are consumer packaged goods companies. And so I led the team in North America that was engaging with some of the largest marketers in the world, the Unilevers, the Nestle's, uh, the Johnson and Johnson's to help them bring their marketing message to our platforms and reach the the broad audiences that we have on, on Facebook and Instagram and our family of apps. The interesting thing was that when I was, um, you know, it it was a very new uh, medium, advertising on a mobile device. I mean, it never had been done before. And so many companies like us were were trying to figure out what's the most effective way to do this? How do I leverage this platform? How do I reach this audience? And in part of our discovery and building out this new industry, you know, we would oftentimes bring the C-suite of these companies, large Fortune 100 companies, uh, to our campuses to have these very intense and and robust discussions around what Facebook was building and what we saw about the future. And, you know, we would always have kind of, you know, some, some different content that would come and go. And one of the key things that everyone would come away with was the culture that we had built at Facebook. And the executives would always say, like, how do I bring this culture back to my organization? You know, it's not just the, the, the great lunches and the micro kitchens with the free snacks, but there is an energy amongst the people that have come to speak to us and that we see sitting out, you know, in the, in the open spaces, thinking and brainstorming, like, how do you instill this in your culture and how can we bring that back? And that's really what led me to the workplace team because workplace is a communication tool for organizations. It's almost like a private instance of Facebook for an organization that allows executives to connect with their entire employee population, to build community, to build culture. And I thought, gosh, you know, I am I am hearing firsthand from these, you know, these big companies that, you know, do really impressive things that, you know, that, that there's an appetite for this. So I, you know, kind of I, I ran, not walked over to the workplace team and I've been on it for two years and it's it's just been really, really great. Hey, so I got a question yeah. for you. I'm gonna be a little messy right here. Uh, you don't have to ask answer this if you don't want to. But you work with some of the largest brands on the planet. And and I love all of the hand movement and the animation as you are describing it, because I know you were having a great time. Who was your favorite client? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all my children. Um, no, I, I, I won't name names, but I think um, I have to say that what I what I discovered was um Almost a, a humility with some of, again, some of these very old, large businesses, the Walmarts of the world, Targets, you know, um, uh, Unilever with, you know, brand Dove, you know, brands that go way back and, and this humility of how they approached this new world. You know, they didn't show up and say, hey, we know what to do. We've been marketing to audiences for 50 years, 100 years. They really leaned into us and said, help us, help us, help us craft this. And, and I think... 
you know, anybody that showed up with that kind of, um, you know, real, real active partnership and, um, and kind of humility about approaching something that they didn't know, but that they wanted to understand to me, I was like, this is going to work. And we, and we did great stuff together. Hey, Julie, I want you to jump in, but real quick, I do want to be, um, you know, mindful of the fact that you started in 11. And from my understanding and research, this was your first role, certainly one of the first roles that you had inside of Facebook. And it's amazing that when we think about this, that was a decade ago. (laughs) (laughs) That was it was a decade. We, we, We actually talk about Facebook now. We talk about online advertising, programmatic advertising, click. Per, uh, pay-per-click and all that other stuff. But when I think about the, uh, is the word amorphation or amorphine, what, you know what I'm trying yeah, to say? Evolution. When I think yeah. about the evolution. Yeah. So, so see, see what I'm saying? See how easy it is to just find an easier word. But, but when I think about the evolution of where we are now with advertising, it's almost like second nature. Yeah. What's been one of the bigger I don't want to say revelations, but what's been one of the bigger observations that you've seen over the last decade? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Google was really successful in the space and, and Facebook, you know, we came, we came around and initially, and this is before we even put ads in our newsfeed, right? They were, they were kind of small postage size stamp ads on the side of, of, a, of a, you know, an actual like web browser. And, you know, obviously we evolved and, and really kind of redefined or, or, or was, you know, kind of the, the leader in the mobile ad space. But I think the, the real kind of pivotal moment for us um, was when we, when we really started talking to our customers about what, what we needed to do to drive business results for them. It wasn't about just putting an ad in front of a person. It was, what is it that you are trying to do? Are you, are you Walmart and are you trying to drive foot traffic into your stores? Okay, let's think about how to do that and what that process looks like and what solution we can provide through everything that we have uh, you know, at Facebook and in our arsenal to drive that foot traffic into store? Or is it, again, you know, you're a consumer packaged goods company and you want to drive awareness for a new product launch? Like, how can we execute that and do that successfully through our tools and, and our platforms? And so it was really that shift from just executing a tactical advertising campaign, which everybody does every day, to really being focused on business solutions that drive business results for our customers. And that was the hockey stick. And in, in my opinion, um, that, and of course, putting ads in, in the mobile newsfeed, but that again was the product, that was the product kind of, um, aha moment. And then the orientation of that to business solutions was the business aha moment. And those two combined kind of set us off into the stratosphere. So let's talk about how all of that brilliance moved over to workplace and how that led you to help design these really hopefully inclusive and effective um, solutions that allow us for a different type of engagement. And obviously, COVID has had us thinking about this for the last year. Uh, Torn and I talk nearly every week about the things we think that companies are doing well and the things that we're doing they're doing poorly when it's coming back to the office. And so what are some of the best practices either you've learned as a leader of a remote team or from some of your favorite customers over at Workplace? And let me just slide in real quick. (laughs) Workplace, define it for the listener, especially that listener who may not know or be aware of Absolutely. workplace by Facebook. And thank you for that. And I and I will do my best not to oversell workplace, but I, I feel so passionately about it because sell it. <laughs> sell it. 
Sell it. You know, it's, it is, you know, and I, and I've sold my entire life and this is, this is a tool I use every, pretty much every minute of every day and, and I love it. So I know it so intimately and I see the power that it can create in building community and culture within an organization. And, you know, to be clear, it is a technology platform. It's a communication tool that allows companies to connect their entire organizations. And, and there's power in that statement because in many cases, an employee's workplace population includes a frontline population. And these tend to be disenfranchised employees. They, they don't have access to information from corporate headquarters. Um, they don't have the ability to provide feedback and have a voice. And so the fact that workplace is a platform that connects every single employee in, a, in an organization um, is, is truly the power of it. And, you know, the, 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 the key to, uh, to workplace is just how easily it's adopted. You, you don't need to go into any kind of training to use workplace. I always like to say, if you know how to use Facebook, you know how to use workplace. It's very similar in terms of the features, the functionality, the UI. It's very easy to use. And so, you know, we see really high adoption rates. It's, it's accessed via a mobile device. It's great for frontline workers where that is their really their only mode of communicating um, to to the the corporate headquarters or getting information, so it's a uh, it really democratizes the distillation and um, distribution of information and opportunity ultimately to an entire organization. I think to your question of you know of of um, you know what have we seen in terms of best practices? I mean, to be clear, this is this is a technology, this is a platform, but where we see it really shine is in how people use it, the behaviors, right? How they use it, the the leadership and how involved leadership gets um, on the platform is really where we start to see the magic happen, so to speak. And in particular, over the pandemic, I mean, I workplace customers love workplace. We always hear just how transformational it is for an organization, but we've never heard what we've heard like we like what we heard during the pandemic of people, you know, when they had to quickly send people remote. Um, and these again, you know, very. Um, you know, uh, old companies that, that uh, maybe in terms of their culture or how they, you know, how they typically worked was not a part of their, um, you know, kind of how they operated, you know, had to quickly do that. And they said, you know, we couldn't have gotten through the pandemic without workplace. It was critical. It helped us maintain that continuity. And we saw C-suite leaders, you know, going live and broadcasting videos to their entire organization that had never done it before. And again, you know, they are in their leisure wear in their living room, you know, a kid's climbing on them, a dog's barking, and that really humanized leadership to an organization. And, and just the collective feedback that we got from the employees, from the leaders about, oh my God, I did, you know, it almost happened by accident. It took a pandemic for us to really understand like this authentic leadership is really resonating. And it's something that, that companies have continued with. And I think we will continue to see, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, the, 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 the ability to democratize information and distribute that to everybody was, was an accident waiting to happen with the pandemic that I think we're going to see carrying forward as, as companies figure out where, where do we go from here? How do we set ourselves up? Pre-show, you used the word conviction. Yeah. During the show, you used the word twice now, democratize, and you used one of my favorite words, you humanized. I always talk about humanity. And I'm very curious if you can elaborate a bit when I think about some of the statistics around women that have left the workplace, the workplace since COVID. I, I believe Julie and I talked about this in one of our closed door sessions, something like four million 
women have left the workplace and now it's going to take 24 months for them to catch up or to recuperate what they've lost. I, I think about a story that Julie and I talked about. Uh, we won't name the grocery store, but out in California, how they took away that uh, bonus or that hazard like pay that they were giving to their frontline workers in the midst of them having an incredible quarter. Can you talk about, you know, Facebook workplace or workplace? Is it something that if I leave an organization, do I still have access to it? Like I have my Facebook. I'm very curious because for frontline employees, this really is a very good best practice and or uh, audience to highlight. It is, it is, um, but it is a closed uh, instance or closed environment just for the organization. So your identity on workplace is your corporate identity or your work identity, okay. and it's very separate from Facebook. The two are not uh, commingled in any way, shape, or form. So when an employee leaves a company, they they leave their workplace instance, and um, and that's you know pretty similar to you know if you leave and you turn in your laptop or any other kind of tools and technology that you use, it's it's a pretty standard practice, but. Um, you know, I think one of the things, and, and, and you mentioned this, and I was, you know, I was listening and just emphatically nodding my head and, and clapping <laughs> to myself, but I, I really think it's important um, what you said about the, the, the broadening definition of inclusion. It's so important now. One of the things I'm, I'm, I, I am hopeful that companies are going to allow more flexibility in work. Uh, in the future. And I think, um, I think it was uh, KPMG did a study that said 80% of CEOs are going to implement some sort of a, you know, hybrid or remote work policy going forward. So that's great. What I worry about is, uh, again, disenfranchising those that elect to work at home. So, you know, is there a bias towards people that come into the office every day? And again, how do we ensure that every employee, regardless of where they are, has equal opportunity, uh, you know, to access information, to to opportunities, and and the ability to provide, uh, you know, feedback and have a dialogue with with leadership and other folks. And I think that's that's the real thing that um, that I really think uh, companies need to be mindful of moving forward. Is that that again, um, you know, inclusion inclusion is everybody. Inclusion is everybody, and making sure that if they are going to set up this type of a hybrid work uh, workforce, that they that they um, you know give equal voice and equal opportunity to everybody. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think you're spot on, but even Bloomberg this week put out a study that said 39% of employees would consider leaving their current employer if they were forced back into the office and they weren't offered some type of hybrid or remote flexibility. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of the, the hustle and engagement concerns um, coming from senior leaders who seem to be very comfortable in slipping back into old habits that break away from inclusion. Um, how, how are you guys at Workplace encouraging your clients to continue to evolve what they can do remotely, whether that's um, internal mobility, recruitment functions, whatever that might be? Um, how can that tool continue to support even as some move back to the office? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think um, the, the one comment I'll make is I, I, do, I do fear kind of the just the, the slippery slide back into reverting into the, the old normal. Um, but I do think that there's going to be a competitive disadvantage. Um, we're in a tight labor market in the U.S., and this is across frontline to knowledge workers. I mean, it is a tight labor market right now. And, um, you know, this is going to, th- this is an expectation of people now, and they are going to go to where there's flexibility. I mean, the 2020 was the first year where millennials now make up 
you know, more than 50% of the workforce population and the Gen Z, Gen Y, there's an expectation around flexibility and they want to work for companies that share their values. And so I think there might be some competitive pressure that, you know, again, in a tight labor market is going to put the squeeze on companies. But back to your question, um, you know, it's, it's all about the stories. And so again, you know, we are, you know, it's easy to talk about the technologies and the features and functionality of workplace. Again, it's, 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 it's loaded with uh, bells and whistles, if you will, but it's, it's truly the stories of how people engage in the platform and how they create community and how they um, create, amplify their culture on the platform. And again, the pandemic was, um, you know, again, a, 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 you know, kind of an unfortunate um, example of how companies had to quickly, you know, create community through, through um, you know, a, disper- a dispersed workforce. And, you know, you think back to the early Zoom days when everybody had their happy hours on Zoom. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but like, I haven't been to a happy hour on Zoom in months. You know, you, you had like 50 people, three people talked, there were pregnant pauses, it was super awkward, you know, and so we ditched that. And I think, you know, people have, have really evolved into more creative ways and, and more meaningful ways to drive community. Um, one of the things that I did with my team is, Again, in in all the Facebook offices, we have these micro kitchens, which, you know, they're just open floor plan. You can come through, grab a drink, grab a snack. And that's typically where you'll bump into people and have these, you know, kind of non-work related serendipitous conversations. And so what we did is we recreated um, the virtual uh, version of the micro kitchen within workplace for my team. And we just seeded it with conversation with the team. We, every day I would ask a question of the day and it was you know, frivolous stuff like if you were stuck on a desert island, what are three things, three books that you would bring with you or three TV shows you would want to watch? And we did uh, peer on peer interviews. So we had four questions in, I think it was under three minutes where uh, one peer would interview another peer on video. And so again, we put the effort and, and again, it comes from leadership, um, you know, seeding this and, and, and enabling and, and actually promoting this kind of behavior to keep community um, being built over time. And I have to tell you, you know, there are um, there are sides of me and things about my personal life that I have shared um, that I never would have had I not been in my home remote. Um, my, my team has seen a different side of me, and again, this is something that we hear from a lot of leaders that they really do value. Um, so I think it's it's, yeah. it's it's really you know again telling those stories and making that more public because that's where the power is. Um, you kind of have to see it to believe it. Yep. And you're going to do a bit of that revelation today. So give me three shows that you would watch. Uh, you know, the three. Yep. 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 I want them. So no playing around. We're not playing around. We, I want three shows that, and then I'm going to do the same thing with Julie okay. because see, that's, what's really important. You know, when we think about diversity and inclusion, it really is the sharing of story. Yeah. It really is allowing people to understand a bit more about who you are. I, I know a lot of my friends get on me. They're like, well, Torn, you never post pictures of your family and all of that stuff. That, Wait a minute. Did she just raise her heart on me? You just got hearted. <laughs> oh, I love it. So so the three shows that you would take, g- give me three shows that it. you would watch. I'm going to really embarrass myself, but I don't care. Okay. Um, okay right. So no judgment here. No judgment. Okay. Judgment-free none, none. zone. Because none. I do watch them religiously, like to fall asleep. Um, okay. Anything on Bravo, which is where I'm embarrassing myself. <laughs> but we'll just leave it at that. We'll just leave it at that. Got yep. I got, I got some people in my house that feel the okay, same way. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, I'm happy to do a watch party with them. We can uh, gossip as we go. Mm-hmm. And the third one, yeah. um, oh my goodness. Why am I blanking? Uh, the office. I like the office. Seinfeld, Bravo as a channel in the office. Yeah. Jay, what okay. do you say? What do you say? Um, real quick. So Schitt's Creek, okay. Justified, and we'll go with the new one, Lucifer. 
There we go. There's my embarrassing Ooh. moment just for you because it's really good. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So real quick, I'm going to put mine in there. So I don't know if they're shows, but I'm going to put them in. Well, I guess they are shows. I love The Wire. Absolutely love The Wire. My favorite movie is Heat with uh, Pacino and De Niro. Love, love, love Heat. Um, and I guess my third show that I would want to watch Right now, I'm really digging The Godfather of Harlem. Mm -hmm. So that's that. Real quick, I want to understand something. When you talk about the um, the platform, the bells and the whistles, and you know all of the allure, how companies have been able to leverage such frontline employees, I'm curious if the platform has done a good job of addressing the safety of women. Because there's been that conversation around where on other platforms, men are taking advantage of the mm -hmm. access. Perhaps they're using the back channel of the DM, the direct message, mm -hmm. if you will. What, if anything, and maybe it hasn't been an issue. Maybe it's not something that has come to light. But if, in fact, it has been something that has been raised, talked about, how is workplace protecting women? Yeah, it's a, thank you for the question. It's a great question. I haven't heard anything about women specifically, but I think your question on how do we ensure it's a safe platform for people to communicate, for people to, you know, be able to um, share their points of view um, is, is really important, right? And not be judged or ridiculed. Um, a couple things. And, and again, this is part in, in um, the behaviors and the practices that are put into place. We have very clear policies and we make these policies known. Uh, within Facebook about um, what we expect in terms of codes of conduct of how people conduct themselves on the platform. And, and we see that be a, um, be something that is, is, uh, you know, used by a lot of companies. Like if you're going to be on this platform, we expect you to behave yourself, you know, behave in a, in a way that is conductive and that you would at any work function. The, the other key thing with workplace is, you know, your face and your name are, you, you have, you have work identity on this. So it, it's, you know, a bit of the same of like, if you ran into the lunchroom and yelled, you know, the CEO is, you know, not so good, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're, um, you know, you're, you're, you're publicly responsible for whatever you do. There's no anonymity. Right. And so it, it, the platform does kind of self-police itself in that, in that respect, but there are ways to, you know, report misconduct and misusers um, that are native into the tool. And so we do have some features and functionality for that. But again, I think it comes down to the, to the expectations that employers set with their employees and then the way people conduct themselves in what is a you know, pretty public forum. With their and just to put that in context yeah. real quick, I know Jay's going to jump in. For those that are listening, I ask that question because it attaches itself to the B, the belonging in the DEIB acronym. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that the aggression, the microaggression, the harassment, the bias, um, uh, the inflammatory language, the the bullying, you know, some of these things that can take place in our communication from these beautiful keyboards that we have. You know, I want to make sure that that's something that people are aware of. We love workplace. We love workplace like we love so many of the other technical platforms that we are able to use. But I want people to make sure that they understand that it is something that is being considered. And I really, really appreciate your highlighting the lack of anonymity on this yeah. particular platform. Jay? Yeah, yeah, pretty critical. So last question, um, if you were going to break some news today, what is kind of on the horizon? One big new release or feature or a cool piece about a workplace that's coming out? 
You know, if you were at like the carnival, you had that little <laughs> clack, 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 clack thing. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm literally looking around like for a bell or something to make some noise for breaking news. Oh, we so now we got, we got to tell Marcel to put in like a breaking news uh, sound or something <laughs> like that. It. Take oh, it away, boy. Christine. I'm sorry. I'm I sorry. I don't know that I have any news to break, but I'm, I am excited about um, a lot of the features, quite frankly, that we've been coming out with lately. Obviously, we, we have skin tone emojis now, again, in this, in this whole spirit of, you know, um, DEI, you know, allowing people to represent themselves. Also, uh, name pronunciation, that is, that is so important. And it shows such respect to people when you can actually pronounce their name. I mean, I, you know, just think about people who have last names that are consistently and constantly, um, you know, mispronounced. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it is, it, 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 it's humiliating. And, and, you know, the fact that I can easily and quickly go in and see exactly how to pronounce someone's name is just, um, it seems so trivial, but it is so meaningful for somebody. So I'm really proud of the work that we're doing there. And, and, you know, we will continue to evolve and, and uh, allow for more personalization and identity um, uh, for folks on the platform. But again, we continue to invest in some key areas around um, our knowledge management, our knowledge library, which is a shareable static, uh, almost intranet of of sorts for uh, housing content on the platform. We've seen a lot of use of that for companies to house DEI uh, type of of content and, and things. And then um, insights also, again, this is about engaging a population, an employee population, and being able to reach everybody. So we continue to invest in, uh, in the analytics behind how, you know, how is your company uh, responding and who are you reaching and what is their sentiment, which is you know, really important for leaders to get a sense for. So um, lots more to come. I won't, I won't, uh, I won't uh, uh, scoop any, anybody, our product team, that's their responsibility, <laughs> but I appreciate the question and invite me back because then I'll be able to tell you more. Deal. <laughs> oh, you, you knew that was coming. Absolutely. You knew that was coming. Christine, thank you ever so much. We truly appreciate the contribution, the explanation, the transparency, and really the conviction that you operate with. Because if you were intimately listening to the exchange, it wasn't just about workplace. It was also about your character and how you approach inclusion and representation inside of your team. And all of us are on a journey. So we thank you for contributing and being a part of ours. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure to be here. So much fun. Thank you. Love, love, love that. Love that. Hey, so when I started the show, Jay, I, I talked about, you know, June being off to a frenetic start with the mention of Pride Month, but it's also African American Music Appreciation Month, Caribbean American Heritage Month, the Pulse Night of Remembrance. You know what happened in Orlando? The Pulse Night of Remembrance some several years ago at that nightclub in Orlando. And it's also Native American Citizenship Day. And I got the rest of those dates from my dear friend Lisa Balzer uh, over at We Are New and Improved on Instagram. We Are New and Improved on Instagram. Also tomorrow, um, actually, I'm sorry. Today, when this episode drops, June 3rd, Recruiting Daily is hosting uh, a conversation on acquisition, diversity, and inclusion. It's happening on June 3rd. You can use the hashtag HRTX to find the event, or you could go to recruitingdaily.com. Now, I'm just going to say this to you. I'm not one for bragging, but I'm telling you now, at one o'clock, when Aubrey Blanche and I hit that stage for an Ask Me Anything, Vocal firepower. Aubrey is locked and loaded. 
And I promise you, I'm going to have on the meanest brim that you all have seen a speaker wear in their basement. Trust me when I tell you tomorrow, G and, and the entire Facebook team knows when I get on camera, we always throw on an incredible fedora. My joint tomorrow, I, I picked it up today, Jay, out of this world. Oh, special. Okay. Well, I'm registered. I will be there. Um, So a quick name drop for me to the MRC team, uh, the multi-regional clinical trial team of Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard um, for starting a a much needed conversation about access and equity, not just in healthcare, um, but also in clinical trials for people with disabilities. Um, I will be joining them. Uh, along with Bristol Myers Squibb for a panel discussion next week. Really passionate about this work and, and excited to see Harvard bringing it forward. And congratulations to you. You know, I was just scrolling through my uh, pictures on my uh, phone this past weekend because I, I, I grabbed my mom uh, an iPhone, moved her over from Android to iPhone. Lord have mercy. Uh, <laughs> I grabbed her the phone on Mother's Day. And as I was scrolling through pictures, trying to show her different functionality, I scrolled through your picture of you sitting at the UN. You remember that? Oh, yeah. That was a, about yeah. a year and a half ago. Yeah. So make sure you tag me on the uh, event that you're doing with Brigham and Women's Hospital. So listen, we close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe. Like we really want you to help us to grow the audience. Julie and I are not playing around. We love to have fun, but you know that we are absolutely committed and serious as it relates to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Be a better human inside of the workplace. Like creating space, access, belonging for other people is not taking anything away from you. Be a better human. For now, Jay and I are ghosts. See ya. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.